You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. We're, we're about midway through our current sermon series, and we're looking at, as we kind of lead up to Easter, some of the reasons why Jesus ended up on the cross in the first place. And we're talking about some of the different ways that we can understand why Jesus was there, what he was doing in the first place, and how we can kind of reconcile that, so to speak, how we can reconcile how Jesus reconciles us to God. So, um, thanks. So just to recap, the first two weeks, here's where we kind of went. We talked about how Jesus gave his life on the cross as a substitute for us. So it's the sense of Jesus sets you free. Uh, Last week, we talked about the idea of ransom uh, and how we have been held captive. And so this perspective on the cross understands that, that Jesus takes our place. Uh, This week, we're going to add a third one to that. And so each of these are different perspectives that have been understood by Christians for the last 2,000 years. And hopefully the point that you see is not that we have to subscribe to one of these and that makes the other ones invalid, but that each of us, perhaps because of our situation and where we were when Christ met us and what redemption has looked like and how that's changed over the course of our lives, our need for God, We can see these different aspects as a group of people kind of gathered in a circle around the cross would each see it from a different perspective. Uh, So this week, we're going to talk about Jesus's life as a moral influence, as a moral influence. And the basic idea here is that Jesus shows you how to live. Jesus shows you how to live. And I think this one is particularly compelling for a couple of reasons. Historically, and even in modern times, some of the challenges that we face with these first two of, of substitution and, and, and ransom is that it can get very violent. And in a world where we see an increasing amount of violence, we might look to this and say, well, well we needed an example that helps us to, to decrease the violence and to, to offer a better way. And that's why I think this next one here of moral influence becomes really important for us as followers of Jesus in the world that we know today. Because it's going to help us to understand how Jesus, yes, sets us free and how Jesus takes our place, but how Jesus teaches us to live. And as I begin to think about this, I really like this idea of Jesus as a moral influencer, as I put it, as an influencer. Because uh, we know a thing or two about influencers today. In fact, let me share a story with you. This happened a few weeks ago. We were sitting out front of our house. Uh, we were sitting in basically these exact chairs, probably in our front yard, the kids were playing. And I noticed a, a couple of houses down, it was probably four or five houses down the street, um, that one of our neighbors came out, and, and I might be wrong. I, I believe that they are middle school, perhaps early high school. And what caught my eye was all this, it looked like something, <laughs> it looked like something was wrong. Um, because, so she had come out, let me set the scene for you. There's a driveway there, and they have two cars in the driveway. And, and she comes out, and she's kind of standing behind one of the car, And it takes me a second to realize that she's dancing Um, (laughs) because the kids these days don't dance like I don't dance anyways, but the dances are different. Like she's doing like a thing and like a thing and, you know, like a, um, thank you for laughing at that. Um, So she's doing a thing like that. I'm trying to watch and I realize she keeps adjusting something. And what she's done is she's, she's got her cell phone sitting on the trunk of her parents' car propped up in such a way where I realize I know what she's doing. Like she's making a TikTok video, I'm guessing. I feel very old now in my age as I reference these things, right? But I realize like her dance moves and all those little things that she's doing, she's, she's trying to record a TikTok video. And the funny part about it is her parents, I didn't know this, were already in the car. And I can now see that they're hollering out the window for her to get in. So she quickly grabs her phone, 
and then jumps in the car. And in and, and that moment, it was really important for her to try to capture one more like dance video that she could upload. And we can laugh at that, and I think that's funny. Uh, but I realize what she's doing is she, she's reflecting what she sees her friends and others doing. And, and in a sense, she has been influenced by the influencers that she follows and is a part of on social media. And in that moment, I kind of chuckle to myself. I think, oh, the kids these days, they're just influenced so easily. And in writing the sermon, I realized I, I'm, I'm influenced in the same way too. I, I got stuck on this YouTube video the other day, or actually it may have come through my Facebook news feed. And the, the title of it was, was how to make money selling couch or flipping couches, how to make money flipping couches. And my thought was, I, I got to see this. And so I play the video and I'm watching this video and this guy's talking about, now I'm going to give you a little tip. I was going to keep this to myself, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it. And what the guy said was you can make a lot of money flipping couches. And what you do is you go around and you, you find good couches, not, not those little, not love seats and not kind of the straight three, uh, three seat ones, but you've got to go for um, a sectional, right? A sectional kind of the L shaped sectional one. Cause that's where you make the money. He said, you need to be able to buy a good one for under a hundred dollars. You need to take it home, clean it up, and you can sell it easily for three to $400. And he was talking about how he could flip these things. And all of a sudden, like the, I can tell the wheels are turning in my head. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to start flipping couches. Uh, I, I may have thought something like, I got to tell Melanie, we're going to start flipping couches. We got to dig out the, um, the cleaning thing that we have to, to get to. I'm try, so I'm trying to put all this together in my head. Um, and then I very quickly realized I'm just as susceptible to, to social media influencers who are trying to shape my behavior and my choices and my lifestyles. Now, if you're a couch flipper, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're thinking that's going to be a legitimate side hustle, I mean, nowadays, I just say go for it. It takes every bit right now to make it work. But I realized that my motivation was to simply just bring in more money to myself. Like, how can I just get more money, right? That was, that was what my brain was thinking. And so I want to recognize the extent to which it's not wrong that we have influences and influencers in our lives and speaking to us. What I want to invite us to consider today and to consider in the example of Jesus is not just who are we being influenced by, but how and what are they influencing us to do? In my case, are they just influencing me to try to accumulate more for myself and, and my own? Perhaps it'd be different if I was trying to find a way to support someone else or something else. So I want to invite us this morning to, to look to Scripture to find a better example of an influencer than perhaps we can see in the world and online and on social media. So I want to look this morning, I want to begin with talking about uh, Scripture, and I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Uh, and this is early on in Jesus' ministry. This is his, his first sermon really out of the gates. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he says, he begins most of these phrases with this phrase, You have heard it that it was said. And most of the times it doesn't see it here, but he'll say, but I say to you. So you've heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is already trying to show you've heard one thing in the world, on social media, from influencers, but think of it this way instead. You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right 
with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they'll haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court and you'll be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. And my first thought as I read the scripture is, as Jesus is fresh out of the gate and is fresh into ministry, is, is that escalated quickly? I mean, we, we went right to murder. My thought would be there'd be a lot of social issues and moral issues that we'd want to tackle first. And Jesus is like, nope, let's talk about murder first. And it was a long time ago, but it was about the same now. That's probably not the most pressing concern on our minds in terms of behaviors that we need to be avoided for that we need to avoid or or influences that we might feel and so i wonder if that first audience ever thought to themselves well jesus murder is an interesting place to start i mean coveting and envy i get those but murder and so what i love about how jesus preaches and how he shares the message is that he's showing that it's really not about murder when we talk about that particular commandment that the issue here is the anger that lies at the root of that. And what Jesus was pointing to is that, yes, murder is kind of that thing that, that's listed in the commandments, but let's talk about the anger and the hate that begins at the root of that. And if we were to think about an example of that and how this would escalate, remember this is kind of the beginning of his ministry. We know that at the end of Jesus' life, when he gathers with his disciples around the Last Supper, uh, that Judas would be there, uh, and that Judas would be the one who would betray Jesus to the officials to say, here's where he is, he's going to be in the garden, you can arrest him there. And perhaps what we can see Jesus doing in that moment at that supper, when he tries to connect with Judas, when he tries to let Judas know, you know, I know the plans that you're making, I know what you're doing, is he's trying to live out this verse to say, you know, make friends with your enemies before they haul you to court, where things will get worse. And we can see once again where even though Jesus knows what Judas is doing, he sees whether it's the anger, the hatred, or just the plain reality that Judas was scared at that point. Jesus is trying to draw him back with love and with compassion, with grace. Because, of course, what we know is that that act of hatred or fear, whatever it was for Judas, that in the moment just caused him to betray his friend, would end up in the murder of Jesus. And so, yes, this, this passage feels like it escalates very quickly, but Jesus' point is to pay attention to those root motives, to those root causes, because those are the things that influence us and that influence us to make the decisions that we make in the world. I mean, I don't have to tell you how many decisions we make out of, out of fear or out of worry or, for me, out of, out of anxiety of what might be or what might not be. And maybe those seem innocent enough, but we've all seen how those decisions made from those places have often caused a lot more trouble down the road. And so as we think about this perspective of why Jesus ended up on the cross, we can begin to ask ourselves, who is influencing me? How am I being influenced? And how can I allow the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus to be the peace that influences me? And so as we think about sin this morning and what that looks like in this example. With the idea of Jesus as our moral influencer, we can understand that sin is anything and everything that keeps us 
from fully reflecting the love of God in our lives. Now that's different than the previous definitions, but it's anything that holds us back from fully reflecting Jesus' love in our lives, or to put it another way, from fully living our life as Jesus lived in the world, living that example of compassion and grace. And quite simply, it recognizes that, that you and I are comfortable in our perspectives, in our routines, and in our behaviors, and that these things don't just govern how we go about the world, but that our perspectives and our our ideas and our routines and our behaviors also affect how we interact with God, how we interact with God. So I want to offer us some good news from the scriptures this morning as we look at this example of Jesus' life. And it comes from 1 John chapter 3. This is one of the passages that we've read recently, uh, if you're following along in those daily emails that we have sent out. And the author of 1 John says, this is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Can you hear the difference in this passage and how it connects with that passage that Jesus gave early on in his ministry about how we ought to live lives that lay down ourselves for our brothers and for our sisters? It's this kind of countercultural way of living. As an example of how to do this, he goes on to say, Little children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And what I like about this perspective is, yes, we're talking about the cross. And yes, we're talking about why Jesus ended up on the cross in the first place. But this particular example invites us to look a little bit deeper and to consider the whole spectrum, the whole arc of Jesus' life. To understand it wasn't just about what he did for us on the cross, but it was about how he lived. And in a sense, his entire life was the gift for you and I. Everything about who he was and what he did and what he said was intended to be the way that we live our lives. And the model is that we ought to give up our lives and our preferences and and our desires for others as a way of serving others. And so what we find in the person of Jesus is that humanity was, we were so broken and we were so kind of disillusioned and we've been influenced by so many that we had really lost sight of what it meant to live for God in the world. And so in sending Jesus Christ into the world, once again, God gives us the model and the example to say, here, here's the way. Here's the way of love and the way of grace and the way of forgiveness to counter the way of hate or or the way of self-centeredness or the way of kind of just being carried by whatever whim or influence of those who are around us. What we see in Jesus is that Jesus is God's imprint of love and goodness and relationship. But I also want to remind us that just when we think that the way of Jesus is, is kind of all lovey-dovey, right, and, and that kind of thing, I want to remind us that what Jesus would go on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, the one I read from earlier, is that the way of Jesus is actually very challenging. And, and so the social media influence, the social influencer that he was, invited us to do these things. To love your enemies, which is really easy to say. It's really hard to do. <laughs> That we have to choose between God or money. That we have to serve rather than be served. That we can't judge. 
that we have to care for the hurting, that Jesus must come first in our lives, above all others and everything else, that we must forgive. And I feel like those who are probably hearing Jesus' sermon on the first day and kind of, there's an opportunity to raise a hand at the end and say, like, for real? Like, all those things? And a definitive yes from Jesus. That what it means to follow him is to choose God first, to refuse to judge, to care for others, to forgive, to love our enemies, and to place God first in all things. And that's not easy to do. And so while, yes, the influence and the example of Jesus is a radical love that embraces all people, it also cuts very deep in our own hearts and challenges the very uh, core and conviction of how we live in the world and invites us to radically submit our lives to God. And so while this particular perspective has been been kind of downgraded over the years by some of saying it doesn't do enough justice, I would say that living a life like Jesus's is a radical and deeply challenging step. And it'll be the hardest thing that we'll ever do, but it can also be the most fulfilling thing that we can ever do. And it comes not because we filled ourselves up with things, not because we flipped a bunch of couches and able to fill up our own piggy banks, but because once we have poured ourselves out in service to someone else, we find that God is the one who meets us in our emptiness to refill us and to serve us once again. There's something indescribable about serving where we find ourselves filled. And this is the example of Jesus. And nowhere is it made more clear than in Matthew 3, 8. And this is just before the Sermon on the Mount that we read earlier. This is really, I believe, Jesus' mission statement for everything that would come next, everything that he was about. And Jesus says, produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. It's no small task that we've been called to as followers of Jesus because Jesus calls us to change our hearts and our lives. And that is tough work, but the good news is it's the Holy Spirit in us that does that. And so whenever I come to this particular um, concept and this particular phrase and this way of understanding the scriptures, I try to think about people who have, who have modeled this that I've known over the years. Uh, and there's one person who comes to mind from a, a previous church that I served uh, that I think really examples the life that is influenced by the way of Jesus, that is influenced by the way of Jesus. An example that empowers us to be people who are self-giving and self-sacrificing and who live lives of love. And this particular person would be pretty much mortified if I shared what his name was. Um, But let me share with you some of the things that always caused him to stand out that he was influenced by Jesus to do and that influenced me. Was one of the things that he would do is that oftentimes uh, on his way to church, uh, there was there was a couple bars on that particular road, and there was one that I think if there was an award for like the most rundown, the sketchiest looking bar possible, like they would win every year in a row. Like they had the plaques all the way across the top, you know. And he would stop by that bar several times a week because he had formed a relationship with the bartenders there, and they had allowed him to put up a prayer jar kind of off to the side of the bar. And so anybody who would come in during the week. And I think he maybe had identified that that might be the place where, where folks go who aren't looking necessarily for a good time, but they're just having a hard time themselves. Like their, their life perhaps matches how much that bar was, was challenging and struggling. And so 
he would stop by a couple times a week to gather up the prayers, to check in with the bartender, to see how things were going. And what he would do is he would gather those prayers, he would take them home and pray over them, but he would bring them back to the prayer ministry at our church. And those would be some of the prayers that kind of fueled, because it was his concern that we didn't just pray for those who were kind of already in the church. And it seemed like it never failed that there was always individuals kind of putting prayers in. And and his thought was they may never make it to a church, but we can take the church to them. And I thought that's what Jesus would have done. That's where he would have gone to hang out, right? One of the other things that he loved to do was he loved photography. And he had this, uh, he had amazing eye for photography. Uh, He did a great job with it. And he would use that to tell spiritual stories. Uh, and even kind of uh, late on in his life, he jumped on Instagram and some of these more photo sharing sites because he wanted to find a way to connect photography to spirituality. Uh, notice I didn't say Christianity. He was using photography to help open up spiritual conversations on Instagram. Even at his age that I wasn't able to do, kind of at my age as maybe a more Instagram native. But he would also just find ways to go to the beautiful places around that area to take pictures and just engage in conversations with others as a way of saying, you know, we're here capturing beauty. And he just had this unpretentious and non-threatening way of starting spiritual and religious conversations with other photographers, starting photo walks, and helping invite people to see the world and their faith differently. And I thought, you know, that's what Jesus would do, is kind of move outside the church to move in the places that people were already doing stuff. And this is the same person that sometimes when I'd come into the church, I would find him kind of just alone in the sanctuary in prayer or or kind of set aside in the prayer room, just kind of going through some of the prayers that have been placed in the book. Uh, He had a key, so no one really needed to know he was there or to let him in, but this was just his life and his ministry. And what I saw in that example was um, someone who just found a way that in the routines of their life, And in a sense, in the things that they were already doing and in the places they were already going, to ask God, Lord, what do you want to do in this space? How can I help people to experience your love and grace in this space? And maybe it's not a church, and maybe it's not the usual places. (laughs) I remember one Sunday, we we finished up worship, and we were heading out of town because we were going on vacation. Um, And like all vacations, there's things you forget. So we found ourselves at Walgreens. Uh, on our way out of town. And, and I'm, I'm kind of in a hurry because I'm thinking like, I'm ready to go. This is exciting. And I come around the corner and he's standing there and, and I said, hi. And he said, hi. And he said, are you, get, are you getting ready to head on vacation? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, can I pray for you real quick? And right there in Walgreens, he just offered a prayer that we would have a restful, fulfilling, uh, rejuvenating vacation. You know? And I thought to myself, like we can do those kinds of things. Right, that's the example of Jesus. And so when we get into some of this stuff, sometimes it feels like living the Jesus way could be so hard and so intangible. But I'm reminded so many times, and as I look around, I could share examples from you all too that you've shared with me. Living as Jesus lived in the world and influencing others for God simply invites us to say, God, how can I live faithfully where I am? And how can I meet the people around me who are struggling or challenging? How can I meet them with the good news? So I want to close this morning by asking you to reflect on these questions. Who are you influenced by? And who are you influencing? And perhaps the most pressing question is, how are you influencing others? 
And what I'd love to challenge us to do today is to, to welcome God once again as we pray and as we uh, receive communion in just a few moments, to once again invite God to, to influence our lives in such a way and to allow the message of Jesus to resonate in such a way that we can have clarity of vision as we go about our week and our work and our life and our play and our relationships with our neighbors so that we can be those simple and unthreatening, positive connections to God for others. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.